Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Appreciation. That's the nothing personal word of the day today. It's a Monday. Anyone else having a hard time knowing the day as well? I got you covered Monday to Friday. Today is Monday. I don't know the date. I think it's March 30th. Monday, March 30th. The nothing personal word of the day is appreciation. I appreciate you. So many messages, so many people contacting me with questions. So many people ready to tell me when I make mistakes and I love it. Coke is nice to me. Sometimes during the show, he'll type something to me or whisper in my ear when something's going wrong. Sometimes if I'm on such a roll, he won't do anything and he'll let it go. But luckily, you all don't. So I want to quickly correct two things and then explain to you the concept of appreciation and why that is truly the word, not just of the day. I want to make it the word of the month of the virus, of the pandemic, and then I want to make appreciation the word that lasts. You've seen a lot of things on social media, 8 p.m., open your doors, yell out thank you to first responders or to healthcare workers or to people delivering your packages or to people in the grocery store. Show appreciation. There have been some videos on the interweb which have bothered me greatly and I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you what I don't appreciate. I don't appreciate people going into grocery stores and spitting on food. I do appreciate people who take care of that person and get that person out of the grocery store. I don't appreciate people who go into museums in the Netherlands and steal Van Gogh's off the wall while the museum is closed. But I do appreciate the people who understand what art is, what culture is, and what doing the right thing is. Can you imagine looking in the mirror at yourself having stolen a Van Gogh from a closed museum in the Netherlands or taking advantage of a delivery person or of knowingly, knowingly exposing yourself when you're sick to people so that they could get sick too? I have such huge appreciation for people who are doing the right thing now, social distancing, being responsible, making other people be responsible. The show will go on. You'll get nothing personal every day. The news will continue, but be appreciative of the fact that there are people out there, whether they are reporters, even the ones at the White House who are social distancing, they're trying to do a job so we are kept informed. Local reporters in Florida, your local reporters in New York, anywhere you are in the country or the world, show appreciation for the information, people who are continuing to give you content. All I ask in return is that you tell a friend about the podcast, about nothing personal. Get more people to listen so I can have more people correcting me when I make mistakes. More people asking me questions like, so you want to talk to Samson? Two errors. The first one is a classic. I said that the sun rises in the east, but I questioned whether or not in Australia the sun may rise in the west. That was on a show last week. It may have been Friday's show. I can't remember. No sooner 
Was this show posted on YouTube and downloadable wherever you get your podcasts? But on top of that, I got a text from an astronaut named Terry Vertz. Terry Vertz is an astronaut who flew a space shuttle. He also lived on the International Space Station for six months. He's someone who we had as a guest at Marlins Park. I met him through Jeff Conine. He became a friend. I'm in touch with him on a consistent, constant basis. He's a brilliant man and an astronaut. Literally, I know an astronaut. A story for another day, one of the coolest phone calls I ever got, cooler than I've gotten calls from some cool people, I would say. But when I got a call from the space station from Terry Verts, I'm going to say that was well above average. So Terry Verts wanted to correct what I said. So here's the answer. The sun actually rises in the West only if you are orbiting the planet from space faster than escape velocity above the Van Allen radiation belt. And then he did a smiley face emoji. And I wrote back an emoji that my head was exploding. Number one, I don't know what it means to orbit space faster than escape velocity. Number two, I've never heard of the Van Allen radiation belt. Number three, I have no way of knowing whether or not any of that is true. He could totally be, what's the word, Coco, when, uh, when someone plays a joke on you, like an impractical joker? They, they could be not gaslighting me. I can't think of the word right now. But there's no question that if Coca did, he'd be whispering it to me. But Verts could be not telling the truth, but I think he is. He Maybe he's just pranking me. Yeah, that's good value added. Thanks, Matt. But so Terry Verts corrected and said that the sun will rise in the West if you're orbiting the planet from space faster than escape velocity above the Van Allen radiation belt. Done. Two. Second error. I told an entire story about opening day 2015, the entire rain delay story, thinking that Wei-Yin Chen was the starting pitcher. It was, that was the story. Except I was corrected by someone, thank you, Wei-Yin Chen didn't sign till 16. The starting pitcher, the opening day pitcher, was Henderson Alvarez in 2015. So Henderson Alvarez did start the rain delay game, not Wei in Chen. I appreciate you correcting me. I told you I'm accountable. I'm not going to forget about it, even if you did. When I make a mistake, I'm going to move on and then I'm going to correct it. Now, Henderson Alvarez is one of the most colorful pitchers I saw in my career. I was trying to think of all of the personalities I've seen. We had a pitcher, I, a Sean West. I heard that he became like a banjo player in a church band. He was like a 6'10 lefty who I really thought would be Randy Johnson. It turns out he's more like Willie Nelson than Randy Johnson. But some great characters over the years. Henderson Alvarez was one of those guys, if you remember him when he pitched, he pitched a no-hitter, which we're going to talk about. He would throw an EFIS ball that would be like a 58-mile-an-hour curveball. He was just, he didn't speak a lot of English, but he was able to perfectly communicate. I loved having him on the team. We got him in 2012 from Toronto. So, Here's the story of Henderson Alvarez. Do you remember that one day? This is the remember that one day segment. That was my segue, Coke. I told you it would work. Remember that one day when Henderson Alvarez threw a no-hitter for the Marlins? That was on the final game of the 2013 regular season. As I recall, we were 61 and 100 going into that game. That was the first year I'd ever lost 100 in my 18 years, the only year 
I ever lost a hundo. Never won a hundo, though. I remember losing that 100th game. It was awful. So we were 61 and 100. I didn't want to lose 101 because for some reason, 62 and 100 sort of matched with my OCD sort of evenness. We lost a hundo on the nose. So Alvarez takes the ball, and it's the last day. It was fan appreciation day where the players give jerseys off their back. And it's just, it's actually a, a, a fun day at the ballpark. You know that when you get through that day, you're ready to move on to next season. The offseason begins, and you really have renewed hope. You hold your breath through every October that you're not a part of. You root for it to be over as quickly as you can so you can get to the offseason where everyone's having an offseason, and you start getting ready for the next year. So Alvarez is going on, and he's pitching well. And I recall during the game that basically there is – Nothing happening out of the ordinary, except he's actually not giving up any hits. So I notice a no-hitter generally after three innings is my rule because I'll look at the game in trimesters. So our scoreboard was in trimesters. I look at the game in trimesters. It's first through third, fourth through six, seventh through nine. And when there's a no-hitter through three innings, which happens a lot, mostly we get no-hit a lot through three innings. It's hard to explain why. Often we are throwing a no-hitter through three. When we're at home, after three innings, I take note. After four innings, I say I'm going to stay in the same place. That's sort of a crazy, I can't even, it's amazing what is going on. I've got Monday morning brain. It's a crazy thing that I'll do, not a suspicion. Coca, you've got to be on it right now. It's a superstition. Thank you, Coca. He is on the program. So I have a crazy superstition that I don't move if there's a no-hitter going on, but I don't think about that till the fourth inning. Then in the fifth inning, I'll start making calls down to our clubhouse manager, a guy named John, who happens to still be there. Had him with Montreal. I could do a whole show about what goes on in the clubhouse, but I'll tell him, okay, let's start collecting game-used balls, start making sure we're holding on to tickets that were not used by players. I'll call the ticket office, make sure they're holding on to ticket stubs just in case there's a no hitter and we can maybe sell some unused tickets in the future like we did for the Roy Halladay perfect game. That's another story. So then I'll start saying to the operations people, change the bases every two innings instead of every three or every four, twice a game, change it every two innings. So we'll have more bases from a potential no hitter. I'll talk about Alvarez changing jerseys, but I've never asked a pitcher to change a jersey, but you'd like to collect as many jerseys as you can to raise money for the foundation or for the team. So the innings go on. It goes through the sixth inning, goes to the seventh inning. And all of a sudden it becomes clear that we have a real no hitter possibility going on and I'm not moving. The only problem is we're not scoring. It is zero to zero after seven, zero to zero after eight. The crescendo builds. The crowd is going crazy. Alvarez is at a perfect pitch count. Not that I could care less at that point. Last game of the season, he's going to go 180 pitches if he has to. Alvarez comes out to pitch the top of the ninth. We're at home. The score is zero, zero. Everything's going great. One out. Everyone's on their, on their feet. Two outs. Everyone is so excited. I am saying to myself with... Mike Hill, and at the time, I'm pretty sure Dan Jennings was there. And I'm saying, well, wait a minute. He's going to have to go 10 innings because we're at 0-0. 
it's not a no-hitter yet. We have to either score in the bottom of the ninth, or he's going to have to go 10, and we can walk him off in the 10th. Henderson Alvarez had no idea what the score was. And it was never more apparent to me. I always knew this about Henderson, but it was never more apparent to me. Two outs, top of the ninth, standing ovation. The 20,000 people who I announced, who knows how many were actually there, on their feet, gets the third out. Henderson Alvarez raises his hands in the air to celebrate, waiting to hug the catcher who doesn't run to the mound. He goes back to the dugout. The rest of the team runs toward the dugout. Henderson Alvarez is standing on the mound alone. I feel so badly for him that I'm yelling, it's not over, you don't have a no-hitter. He goes back, he looks up, he looks around, he puts his hand in his glove after raising his hand in the air, puts his head in his glove, and runs off the field. Once off the field, his teammates tell him, hey, listen, pal, you don't have a no-hitter yet. Well, wouldn't you know it? Bottom of the ninth comes, bases loaded, and the Marlins walk it off. I'll never forget it. It was a passed ball wild pitch. Giancarlo Stanton is on third base. He runs home. Henderson Alvarez is on deck. He's going to hit for himself so he can pitch the 10th inning to try to get the no-hitter. The on-deck person has to direct the runner at third on a passed ball, on a wild pitch. The third man on third is looking to the on-deck person. Do I come? Do I not come? Henderson Alvarez doesn't move a muscle. Zero. Giancarlo Stanton sees the ball, hit the fish tanks. He starts running. He crosses home plate. It is a walk-off win, one nothing, no-hitter. Alvarez is standing on deck. He realizes the game is over, and he has pitched a no-hitter. Henderson Alvarez. I love him. He got a no-hitter. I got to give Coca props. He's telling me that Luke Putkanen. Luke Putkanen? I don't think that's how to spell his name. That was the Tigers pitcher through the wild pitch. I'm not sure. Is that additive to the story, Coca? Seriously, the story is about Alvarez not knowing the score of a game, not knowing that he needs to pitch another inning or get a walk-off to get a no-hitter, standing totally alone on the mound waiting to celebrate, and you're telling me that Luke Pekonkin? Luke Pekonkin? I remember when. You know what deals good when Scott Boris complains? We've talked about Boris. You can't get enough of Boris, right? I mean, it's too good to be true. Scott Boris, someone actually uh, uh, DM'd me this weekend. I can't remember who. I mean, I was asked by two separate people, one by someone I know and one by someone I don't know, but I appreciate the DMs and the follows that David P. Sampson said, hey, do you think you'd ever want to be quarantined with Scott Boris? To which my answer was, yeah, and here's why, because he would talk the whole time and I wouldn't listen to one word. It would be a perfect quarantine match. He'd talk and I wouldn't listen. Perfect. How long would I last was asked by someone else. A day? 18 years? I lasted 18 years. Maybe 18 years. And someone else asked me, would you get into the ring and fight Scott Boris for charity? 
And the answer is, of course not. The best way to fight Scott Boris is by articulating my position and why his positions are so wrong. By pointing out to my audience, you're you, why what he says is so self-serving, self-indulgent, in, in, self-indulgent, narcissistic, insane, lack of reality. That's way better. And anyway, we're giving money to charity through the MLB Beer Challenge. But let's talk about what Boris did this weekend. We told you about the MLB agreement between the MLB and MLBPA. I'd like to understand exactly where Boris stands on the draft issue because he represents so many amateur players and he takes a percentage of their bonus. And what's ironic is that anybody could represent a drafted player because there's slots. And no team is going to violate the slot. No team is going to go above their bonus pool because why would you lose draft picks or lose money? But Scott Boris convinces parents and players that he can do better. He can do more. He can't. There is zero incremental difference between what he does for one of his drafted players. But. He'll deny that, of course, saying, I've got academies. I've got a full staff of people looking out for every need. I'll make sure you get free gloves and free batting gloves and free bats and everything else, and I'm going to get you a sponsorship deal. Really? Yeah, wait to see there, Scott. So in any case, he gave some quotes about the draft. I have to read them because they're too good. Quote. It is amazing to me, said Scott, when our nation is in a position of peril, that one of the attack points always continues to be the poor drafted players. For owners to do this to these young men who are so passionate about baseball is something they need to examine their conscience. I just think in this climate and this environment, excuse me one second, I'm examining my conscience. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Hold on. I'm examining my conscience now. Okay. 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 I will. I will. (laughs) I'll examine my conscience for you, Scott. Because I just think, Scott, continues that in this climate, in this environment, you should keep the status quo. You're sending a message to drafted players that you are Major League Baseball's stepchild. It's unconscionable to me for that small amount of money. More kids will have to go to college. (laughs) Where do you want me to start? More kids will have to go to college? Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid that that kids from high school who think they're going to be Major League Baseball players get an education. Heaven forbid that we tell these kids that the odds of them making a living for the rest of their lives, making enough money to take care of the rest of their lives is so infinitesimal. Heaven forbid we tell these kids that Scott Boris is going to disappear like a piece of lint off a piece of old laundry. If you can't make him money anymore, heaven forbid we help people get educations. That would be very bad for my conscience. Major League Baseball's stepchild? Really? 
if I had my way and I tried for 18 years, I would have made the draft five rounds 18 years ago. I would have contracted the number of minor league teams or made minor league owners pay for those teams because as a major league team, I know exactly what I need in the pipeline. The equivalent is this. Can you imagine a research and development company? Let's call it a pharmaceutical company. Let's say that they are paying researchers to develop a vaccine for coronavirus. Then what we tell them is we want you to spend tens and hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of the next 10 years. And we want you to develop a vaccine for nose hair. And they would say a vaccine for nose hair. It's called a clipper, maybe even a wax. If you're really dangerous and really out there, you could call it a laser. But a vaccine, there's no vaccine needed for nose hair. Well, that's the same thing as telling me that I need to pay for a certain number of players who I know can do nothing for my bottom line as a major league team. Does that sound harsh to you? It's not. It's not harsh. It's my job. I've got to make sure that we have a business so we can put on major league games to entertain people. I understand that minor league teams entertain people too. I get that. But I also understand that there is a financial equation. There is a balancing act for how many players and how many teams you need. And for us to pay for players who are not going to become major leaguers, it's not worth it. You want to talk about a conscience. The conscience that I felt was pretending that all the players we would keep in the Dominican Republic, pretending that all the players we would keep in the minor leagues, pretending that they had a shot, having them hold on to their dream longer than they should because I was trying to fill out rosters. That's what's unconscionable. I'm bothered. I pause because I want to know how much further I need to go to make it clear that when Scott Boris tells you that he doesn't want the draft to change, he's talking about his commissions because right now we only have to pay $100,000 to every player signed and then split the rest of the bonus over two payments between 2021 and 22. He's angry that the levels of bonuses are staying the same for the next two years. He has no clue the financial damage that is about to hit his industry. He has no idea the impact on free agents, his free agents that is gonna take place in the coming years. He is clueless. And if he wants to stand in this, jump on the grenade of the draft and the changes to the draft, I want him to go to his current major league players and say, excuse me, would you accept taking a few million dollars less per year so we can have extra rounds of the draft and guarantee better payment terms for the players drafted? I want one player to stand up and tell me that's what they'll do. Okay. Taking a drink right now. Not that I'm sweating. I did something this morning that I want to encourage everyone because I did a sport. So here you go. So you want to talk to Samson. That's when you tell a friend about the show and have them follow me at David P. Samson. Just tell one friend. Listen, it's 45 minutes of a distraction. Who wouldn't want it? Even if you're used to listening to it on your commute, take 45 minutes, lift your arms up as though you're driving a car, close your eyes and listen to 45 minutes. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. 
Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com So you want to talk to Samson, ask me any question. It's another weekend without sports. What can I do to help get sports back? This comes from a listener. What can I, I don't know if it's a he or she, what can I do to help get sports back? I love that you asked that question and I have an answer for you. I know exactly what you can do to help sports get back. And you're not going to like it one bit. You can stay quarantined. You can stay home. You can be safe. You can self-isolate if you've been exposed to anyone who's sick. You can help out anyone you can if you've got family members or if you yourself have to leave home to be a delivery worker, to be work in a grocery store, in a pharmacy, in a restaurant who's doing takeout. You can take care of yourself by wearing gloves. You can take care of yourself by washing your hands. You can take care of yourself by making sure not to get anyone sick if you're not feeling well, that if you're sick, you don't go into your job. Believe me, I know how hard it is to say that. And believe me, I know that my circumstance is different. Believe me, I get it. But the fastest way to get entertainment back online is to get the world back online. It's not going to be like 9-11. This will not be where you can look to sports to solve what ails you. You can't look to sports to change what is going on in the world or to make you forget about what's going on in the world. You have to look at the world first. For the first time in my career and in my life, sports is second. Even during the World War, sports was used to try to make people forget about life for a while, like the theme song to Cheers. But now that's not the case. We're not going to have sports on a field anytime soon. It is too risky. We've seen what can happen when the healthcare system crashes. We've talked about flattening the curve. I've tweeted about it way before others were. 
and I don't want credit. I just know that I could see it happening. We talked about that we're going to become Italy. We're worse than Italy now because we refuse to help flatten the curve. And what I mean by that is the same number of people are going to get sick. You have to have them get sick over a longer period of time because the longer you do get sick, that means there's enough beds, enough ventilators, enough help. If we overcrowd the healthcare system, if we don't social distance, if we don't do our part, then what you heard yesterday, 2.2 million people dying, that's real. It was only a month ago when we thought that 15 people had coronavirus and that number would be down to zero. I certainly didn't think that. You listened to nothing personal. You knew you were ahead of the curve. You knew the NCAA tournament was going to be canceled. You knew that the minute one player tested positive, all sports would shut down. And now you knew that if we don't flatten the curve, we're going to be delaying and delaying the start of sports. So when you ask what you can do, I know the answer. And it's hard. It is so hard to be isolated. I understand the mental part of it as well. It's hard to be quarantined. I get it. But that's what you can do. Let's all do it. I miss sports on the field. But still watching a movie. I got to I got to you know, so Ozark came out. I'm going to watch season three. I'll review it when I finish it. I'm in the middle of watching the trials of Gabriel Fernandez. I'm going to review it when I'm done. But I watched a movie this weekend because it was Jamie Foxx. And I've got a Jamie Foxx story that you would not believe. Coca, can I tell my Jamie Foxx story who stars in Just Mercy? Should I save it? I mean, this is so good. So I met Jamie Foxx. It's, I met Jamie Foxx when I was uh, on a trip. And I met him. And uh, I'll actually tell you where I was. I was in Las Vegas and I met him and he was, he walked up because he knew someone I was with and I was introduced to him and he's my size. This was before the all-star game, the MLB all-star game. And he's my size, maybe an inch taller and that's it. A bit wider than I am. Um, Not fat, but just, he's not a big guy. A lot of actors aren't. So, I'm introduced and I get introduced by, I was working, this is before the All-Star Game, so I was working as the president of Marlins. I was introduced, hey, Jamie, this is David Sampson, David Sampson, this is Jamie Foxx. And he said, hello. And then the person said, hey, um, David is the president of the Marlins. He went crazy. I'm trying to explain what his reaction was, except to say, I guess the only one can say it is, he lost his mind. He started basically yelling at me, telling me that I was the single worst team president ever, that I had taken two World Series teams and broken them up, that I was responsible for no attendance, for a bad stadium deal, for hurting the people in Miami, for hurting people around the world. He literally went crazy. And he did it in a way where his bodyguards and the people I was with had to get involved. I'm not a pugilist. I've never punched anyone and I've never been punched in my life. With this mouth, can you imagine? I've never been punched. I've been saved many times by many people. Never punched anyone. People get in front of Jamie Foxx. He's in my face, literally in my face, telling me that I'm the worst executive of all time. Literally, this close, if you're watching this, nose to nose. If you're listening, picture someone right up in your kitchen. 
And I'm thinking to myself, is this happening? Like he's making a scene in front of the public telling, and no one knows who I am. Well, mostly, mostly for sure. Although with this beard, what do you think of the beard? Yeah, still nobody. Anyway, his bodyguards step in. The people who introduced me to him step in and try to get him to calm down. I basically put my hands up in the air and I say, Jamie, I'm really sorry. And it's nice to have met you. And I walk away. The next thing I know, a week, two weeks, three weeks later, there's a buzzer at the main entrance of Marlins Park. Ding dong. I get a call. The assistant, there's someone here to see you with a delivery from Jamie Foxx. And I don't think it's Jamie Foxx at the door, but I say, send him in. Jamie Foxx sent one of his business partners to give me one of his backpacks that have speakers in them. I can't remember what it's called right now, but I still have it. It's a backpack with speakers so you can listen to music while you're walking down the street or while you're doing something. And it just came with a note that said, I'm sorry. So I responded and I was able to track him down and I said, no hard feelings, it's all good. But it was a crazy story. I don't see him again until the MLB All-Star Game in Miami when he accepts an invitation to play in the charity softball game on on All-Star Monday. I was about to say All-Star Saturday, but that's NBA. All-Star Monday. He's down in the tunnel. He's in the dressing room. And I'm told that he's there. I go down and I don't bring anyone with me. No security, nobody. I go down by myself because I know there's cameras everywhere. So what's he going to do? He'd already apologized. I look at him and I stay 20 feet away, like total social distancing. And I said, hey, Jamie. And he looks up and he sort of gives his nod like he does in the movies. And I said, do you remember me? He said, Samson, right? That's he didn't remember my first name is my guess. I said, hey. Good to see you. Thank you for the backpack. And I'm really sorry about what happened between us. And he said, hey, man, we're cool. So I am cool with Jamie Foxx. What I'm not particularly cool with is that Just Mercy with Jamie Foxx was a really bad movie. I mean bad. Like the guy who stars in it, whose name is escaping me, I think it's Chadwick. Is it Chadwick Boseman? Is it, oh, it's Michael B. Jordan, excuse me. Michael B. Jordan stars in this. He plays a lawyer who is trying to free a wrongly convicted man played by Jamie Foxx. It's a true story. It's a tragic story. But it's slow. It's predictable. The dialogue's terrible. When they pull on the heartstrings, you're going to cry because you cry that someone could lose 18 years of his life by being wrongly convicted. And then you're going to go to the list I'm about to give you, and you are going to watch five movies on the same topic that are way better. Number five, the documentary When They See Us about the Central Park Five. I've reviewed it here, I believe. Please go see it. Stream it. It's the perfect time. Four, the thin blue line. I'm not going to spoil it because I may review it one day. The Thin Blue Line is a true story documentary. Three, 
conviction with Sam Rockwell and Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank was a woman whose brother got convicted. She went to law school, passed the bar, became a lawyer, and helped her brother become free. Sam Rockwell, one of my favorite actors, one of the best actors, conviction. Number two, here's a story about the hurricane. That was my Bob Dylan imitation. The hurricane, you know it, watch it. And then, by the way, download the Bob Dylan song. The number one movie you must see, it's in my top 100. The number one movie about people wrongly convicted and the work it takes to free them in the name of the father. In the name of the father stars the best actor of my generation, Daniel Day-Lewis. It stars Pete Postlewaite, who is in The Usual Suspects, been in a bunch of movies. It is a movie about people in Northern Ireland being wrongly convicted. It is a must-see. Those are five things to watch before you watch Just Mercy. Hey, Jamie, I'm not ending the show, but I should just tell you that what I'm telling you now is business. It's nothing personal. So please. All right. It is day 15 of the ML Beard Challenge. Day 15, I may be growing this, we, Coke and I may be growing this till next opening day. I'm not ready to say that. We're guaranteed that we're growing this till opening day of baseball, whenever that is. We don't know when that is at all. We started the ML Beard Challenge. Today is day 15. Three teams to cover, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. On Saturday, $1,000 to the Dodgers Foundation to give to people in need who have been affected by coronavirus. Sunday, the Miami Marlins. Yes, did you think I would skip them? Of course not. And today, $1,000 to the Brewers Foundation. Now, what's so interesting about these teams right now? I want you to think of three things when you start thinking about these teams. Let's start with the Dodgers. The Dodgers, in my opinion, are the team most impacted, most impacted by this shutdown, by this delay, by what is guaranteed to be a shortened season. You heard me talk about Mookie Betts. They're happy they don't have to pay David Price the full $16 million for this year. Remember, they're only paying him sixteen. Boston's paying him sixteen too. The Red Sox are in heaven that they don't have to pay the full sixteen to David Price. The Dodgers may have lost a full season of Alex Verdugo forever. He's gone because they got bets for him. They may have lost the last season of Justin Turner. But what's worse is that in a shortened season, any advantage they have really goes to zero. They had a chance to win 100 games for the third time in four years. Never been done except by four teams. You can't say that. It's only been done by four teams. And they could have been one of them. They were going to be one of them. They were going to win the National League West hands down. When I went through the season, I had them winning the National League West 100% of my three simulations. That's a joke from a previous show. When Yale won the NCAA tournament, when I did the tournament three times and they won. My three simulations, the Dodgers win it. What a break for the Diamondbacks. Marlins. How about them, Marlins? This could be the worst plan for the Marlins ever. When you lose a year of rebuilding, a year of getting experience on the field, even when you lose 80 games, your team is at a disadvantage. 
made worse by the fact during a rebuild and in a team where you are going to have a low payroll because you're low revenue and now it's going to be even lower. You need players to perform in their first three years. You need players to outperform while they're getting paid the minimum in order to maximize your victories and your chance of having a window to compete for the postseason, even in an expanded postseason. Well, wouldn't you know it, the Marlins' best player, Brian Anderson, one of their best pitchers, Caleb Smith, their new starting catcher, Jorge Alfaro. Those guys will go into arbitration next year in 2021. Will they get paid a little less? Yeah, because they won't have the bulk and the stats from this year. But as you know, that's not going to matter in arbitration. They will go from making the minimum to making in the millions. That brings your payroll up in a hurry. The problem with that is when you have a limit to your payroll and your players are getting older, that is a prescription for not a lot of wins. This hurts the Marlins. The Marlins signed Corey Dickerson to a two-year deal. They're going to lose a year of it. And this was the year when he had a better chance for being better. Forget Jesus Aguilar and Jonathan Villar. They're going to let them go. It's a big deal. I leave now with the Brewers. Let me explain why the Brewers are completely despondent in a way that I don't know that they can recover from. When Christian Yelich signed a contract, a long-term deal, remember how we described it on Nothing Personal? That contract was a contract extension. Christian Yelich for the next two years is on a contract that we signed him to when he was with the Marlins. His salary for this season is $12.5 million. For next season, $14.5 million. For the Brewers to take the next step, for the Brewers to compete, it is critical that Christian Yelich is an MVP player only making $12 million instead of $25 or $26 or $27 million. Because then you can build a better team around him. And he's not as high a percentage of the payroll. When the Brewers lose this opportunity, the National League Central is up for grabs. The Reds, the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the playing field has been leveled. I feel for what the Brewers did. They did an extension early, as you know. Too early. I'm happy for Christian. But now in a scenario like this, a meltdown scenario of a half a year or even no year, they lose every ounce of advantage they had by signing him to that extension. What I'd like you to do for the beer challenge, if you don't mind, I would very much appreciate it is if you would go on to your team website. If you love the Brewers, go on to their website. They have great charities. So do the Dodgers. So do the Marlins. The Marlins Foundation is something that means more to me than anything else I did over my career. We gave millions of dollars and spent hundreds of thousands and thousands of hours in the community. We had every single employee not go to work but get paid twice a year and did a day of service. That got eliminated. We had every employee a part of an Ayudan program. That got eliminated. Ayudan means help. We had employees out there doing things in the community. The current Marlins are still helping because they've got people. They're not many. They got a few left from when I was there. But they understand their responsibilities. Derek does. Bruce Sherman does. They understand that they've got to give to the community meaningfully. The Marlins Foundation is terrific. We know how to reach people. 
please, if you're a fan of the Marlins, even if you're not, do anything you can. If you're with the Brewers, you know what the Brewers mean to you in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, where I was born, my second favorite city in the United States, third. It's still on the podium. I put New York there, where I spent a lot of my life, and South Florida. That's sort of a community. I love the Wisconsin community. Give to the Brewers Charities, please. That's what you can do. If you want to grow a beard and look like this, if you can't see me, I posted a picture on my Instagram at David P. Sampson just to let people know that unlike Coca, I can actually grow hair on my chin. Okay. Wait to seize have been tough. We didn't do it the last two days. The reason why we didn't is we were on a roll or something was happening, but I got to wait to see that I had to do today. Because with this delay, I'm not sure that people are properly focusing on what's going on in the world of sports. We've talked a lot about baseball. People are excited about the NFL draft, if and when that happens at the end of April. Thinking about college football, thinking about National Football League. The NFL and the NHL, the NHL and the NBA, excuse me, stopped their season in the middle. The NBA normally starts the playoffs in April, NHL as well, and they go through June. Well, you all very well know that we are now quarantined. We are under rules of no big gatherings through April 30th. So let's just pretend that we completely flatten the curve and that starting, let's say, middle of May, we can get sports going again. That leaves a month and a half until the season is supposed to end in the NBA when there's normally two months of playoffs. Two and two months plus of playoffs. My wait to see is the following. One, I told you already the NBA's regular season is done. That is a wait to see. There will not be regular season games anymore. There may be a playoff tournament. There may be just go right to the playoffs and freeze the standings where they are. There may be a play-in game if there were two teams close to the number eight seed or teams close to having home court, home court advantage in the first or second rounds. But my wait to see is that the NBA, like baseball, where we very well know that spring training is required, three weeks minimum of spring training before a regular season game, in the NBA, there's going to have to be a preseason again. We haven't really contemplated that because there aren't players, right? Not everyone can be Joey Gallo, who's taking BP in his apartment into a net. Not everyone has a hoop or a full gym in their house or in their apartment. But what I can tell you is no matter how much practice the NBA players are having, no matter how much cardio work they're doing, LeBron can say all he wants that all they need is a week. And I get it. He was in shape. Everyone's staying in shape. LeBron, my guess is, and I don't know this, he may have a full court where he's living either in Florida or Cleveland or L.A., wherever he is. But from where I sit, the NBA will need some sort of preseason. They do not want the first game that these players play to be a playoff game. They do not want the first game these players play to be a meaningful game that counts. There will have to be, have to be some sort of training camp, some sort of preseason. And the lesson here is when we're playing wait to see, I'll be accountable. I'll let you know if I'm right or if I'm wrong. But when you do a wait to see when you're in the middle of a pandemic, you're taking a big chance because right now, anyone who says they can predict any sort of schedule, any sort of event that's going to take place, 
they'd simply be wrong. My wait to see. NBA requires a preseason. Guess what? We're going to have to wait to see. And when they look at each other and they get back on the court and they're nervous about sharing sweat and sharing the same basketball, they will all look at each other when the first tip and the first jump is happening. And they'll say, hey, how you doing? It was just business for us. It's nothing personal. 